Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome back to our second message in the series on the Lord's Prayer. If last week's message is maybe a bit of a blur, let me remind you of the two key points. The first is, when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, they were in essence asking him to show them a new way to relate to God, a way that could guide them into a deeper connection with God, our Father. And secondly, we look at how the structure of the Lord's Prayer helps us understand what the heart of the Lord's Prayer is all. It's all about the coming together of heaven and earth. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are helping issue in or bring about God's kingdom reign on earth as it already is in heaven where God sits on the throne. So now we're ready to dive a little deeper into the Lord's Prayer so that it isn't just something we say, but rather it becomes something, a way that we actually live. And if we're living the Lord's Prayer, then it will inform our mission as God's people. We are missioning through the Lord's Prayer. Our lives, our words, our thoughts, our behavior, our attitudes are part of coming together of heaven and earth. Sometimes we talk about two things dovetailing together. I'm sure you have heard that word before, and you may know that it comes from carpentry or woodworking. It describes a way that two pieces of wood interlock in such a smooth and a seamless way that you don't even need screws or nails or even glue to keep them securely tied together. So I want to use this word picture to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Picture two realms, one representing heaven and the other representing earth. And these two realms are converging together and they are dovetailing together in a distinct yet interconnected way. This is the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Heaven and earth are represented in a circle, dovetailing nicely together. In the top half of the cir circle, we have the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, which refer to God's work in heaven. And the bottom half, we have the three petitions of the Lord's Prayer that relate to our life with one another here on earth. Obviously, it's not easy for us to know what God is up to in heaven, is it? It reminds me of a story my wife loves to tell from a TED talk she heard. It's about a little girl who is busy with her paper and her colored pencils and she's drawing away ferociously. And her teacher asks her, what is it you're drawing, my dear? And the child looks up at the teacher and says, oh, I'm drawing God. Oh, isn't that nice, said the teacher. But no one knows what God looks like, replied the teacher. To which the child says, well, they will in a minute. Well, I think the Lord's Prayer is a little bit like that drawing. I think that it helps us understand what God's business is in heaven. And that's how these first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer guide us. And next week, or week three, we're going to look at God's business here on earth. So the first three petitions, or requests of the Lord's Prayer, are asking God to do his business, his work, his name, his kingdom, his will, and the last three are about us, 
our daily bread, our trespasses, and our debts. We'll look a little bit more into that next week. Today, let's tackle the first three. What are the first three things that we are told by Jesus to ask our Father in the control room, our Father concerning his reign or his realm? In short, they are, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And because the heart of the Lord's Prayer is this connection of bringing to earth what is already happening in heaven, we could actually say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many years ago, a famous Canadian author attended the church that my wife and I attended, Bloor West Village Baptist Church in Toronto. Her name is Lucy Maud Montgomery. She's most well known for her children's books called Anne of Green Gables. But she wrote many other successful short stories, novels, and her own autobiography. She lived in the neighborhood of our church from 1935 to 1942. In one of her books, she wrote these words, and they give us a sense of the mystery of heaven. She wrote, it had always seemed to Emily, ever since she could remember, that she was very, very near to a world of wonderful beauty. Between it and her hung only a thin curtain. She could never draw the curtain aside, but sometimes, just for a moment, a wind fluttered it, and then it was as if she caught a glimpse of the enchanting realm beyond, only a glimpse, and heard a note of unearthly music. That's in her book, Emily of New Moon. When I read these words, I wonder if she might not have been describing what we contemplate when we seek to peer into the control room of God. It's so hard for us to describe, isn't it? And yet we are separated from that realm only by a thin veil. God is so close. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us a picture of what God's priorities are in the control room. These are the three petitions, the three requests. The first petition the first thing we ask our Father for in the Lord's Prayer is, hallowed be your name. In the NIV and that New Revised Standard, King James, we use that old English word, hallowed. It is a word we virtually never use anymore in any other context. The New English Version says, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. And in the message by Eugene Peterson, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. We don't really have a modern equivalent of that old English word, hallowed, which means to treat something as sacred as ultimate or as holy. It's hard to find an equivalent to this word. And yet, it seems to be the most important thing, the most critical thing for Jesus because he begins with it. It is the supreme beauty, the number one thing. It's what comes first. Because not only all of prayer should be about hallowing God's name, all of our life should be seeking God and praising him as the ultimate one. This is the very starting point. It is the very essence of our being. This is what life is all about. Jesus spent more time talking about God's kingdom, but the prayer doesn't begin with your kingdom come. It begins with God's name and this majestic but old-fashioned idea of God's name being hallowed. It was so important and critical to Jesus' life and ministry. His passion and his commitment for his Father's name to be made holy. In the other prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, he said, I manifested your name to those you gave me. I have made your name known. In biblical times, 
names meant a whole lot more than they do to us today. When Heather and I were expecting the birth of our children, we would read through books and articles with long lists of first names, and, well, we basically picked the name we thought we liked the most. And in most cultures, that is the case. For sure, in certain cultures, and in some countries, that names are used more tightly to describe that someone is the son of or the child of someone, the daughter of whoever. In a few countries and cultures, names describe where a person is from. And for some people, names connect them to their religion. My wife is a grade six school teacher. And back when there were a lot of Tibetan families in our neighborhood, it seemed like every child's name, every Tibetan child's name was Tenzin, which means the guardian of the Buddha Dharma. In biblical times, names were much more than just labels. They not only describe reality, they are part of reality. They shape reality. A name stood for that personable and incommunicable character of someone. A name was a person's reputation, their nature, their, their personality. In the book of Proverbs, we read that a good name is more desirable than great riches. So God... It's not just God's name. It is a description of God. It summarizes his personality, his character, his being. You know that in the Bible there are more than 950 names of God? Each one reflects a facet of his character and his attributes, just like a diamond. So when we say, hallowed be your name, we are saying to God, make yourself known. So the first part, the first intercession or petition is Father in heaven, Hallowed be your character on earth as it is in heaven. So then what does hallowed really mean? By the way, I do want to point out once again that I owe so much gratitude towards um, Daryl Johnson of First Baptist Church, J.I. Packer, formerly uh, of Regent College, N.T. Wright, the Bishop of Durham, England, and others who have helped me understand the Lord and his prayer. These books have been a great help to me, and I recommend them to you as you study. In one of the books, J.I. Packer says, Hallowed be thy name is the biggest and most basic request of the prayer. If you understand it, what it truly means to hallowed God's name, it is the key not just to understand prayer, but to understand all of life. To hallow something or someone or the name of God means to sanctify it, to make it holy, Or, as Daryl Johnson says, it means to holify God's name. God is already holy. His name is already holy. God's name must become the absolute reality of everything that exists. Psalm chapter 8 verse 1 says, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Or in the message we read, God, brilliant Lord, yours is a household name. And Psalm 113 says, from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, the name of the Lord be praised. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are really saying, Father in the control room, make real your character. Magnify your name on earth as it is in heaven. Make yourself as real on earth as you already are in heaven. By the way, did you notice the wording here? It isn't, Lord, let us hallow your name, or even give us the power and the authority to hallow your name. It is you, Father, you hallow your name. 
As Daryl Johnson writes, it is us telling God to do what only God can do. Only God can truly put himself in such a place as to display his glory to the whole world. It isn't our mission, it's God's mission. This is the foundation for all of our missioning through the Lord's Prayer. We are coming into God's work that he alone is responsible for. Before it is our work to hallow his name, it is God's work. The same with bringing about his kingdom and accomplishing his will. We pray, Lord, manifest all that your name means in my life and through my life, in our church and through our church, here on earth as it is in heaven. And that leads to our second petition. The second request in the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Somebody once wrote that this petition should come with a giant warning sign or a huge flashing light, danger, danger, danger. We pray it so flippantly, your kingdom come. Do we really know what this prayer request means? It literally means to overthrow every other kingdom of the world. The kingdoms of wealth, of prosperity, of success, of fame, of comfort, of security, of easiness, of popularity. It means to start a revolution. It means that the powers that we think are true power have to be submitted to the real power, which is God. It means that we are asking God something that only he can do, which is to hasten the day when his rulership will be seen and felt in every part of human life. It means we are praying for God to come and invade our lives in such a dynamic and forceful way that any claim we have over our own lives will disappear. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying that the work that God completed on the cross, the work of redemption, not only of all of human life, but all of the entire cosmos, all of creation, will come about now. This is the new earth, and it will grow and flourish and burst forth in every part of life. This is where these two interlocking realms of heaven and earth touch. We pray God's kingdom come, or shall we say, has come and is still yet to come. And he write, wrote, earth is our space where sin and death have left a devastating scar. So we pray, our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are announcing this vision of the end of the book of Revelation when the new Jerusalem, the holy city, comes down from heaven to fill this earth. You know, probably the hardest thing for us to get our heads around in the Lord's Prayer is this. If the cross brought about God's kingdom, if it is already here, then why is there still death and sin, suffering, evil, hurt, sadness, persecution? Just as I am recording this sermon today, our sad planet is in rough shape. Whether it's because of a global pandemic that has taken millions of lives, or the scar of war in Israel and Palestine, or the abduction of children in Nigeria, or ethnic cleansing in Myanmar, so many places are devastated by violence and war, sectarianism, military power, violence. What would it look like if God's kingdom truly came to Burma or Brazil, to Nigeria or Lebanon? Gosh, if it came to your community. We live in a very difficult in-between time regarding the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is both already and not yet. We live and serve a living king who has already accomplished his plan for the liberation of every form of violence. But we still wait and we still pray and we wait and we pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. There's a 
beautiful old African Negro hymn from the time of slavery that said this, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Even after the abolition of slavery, the people still lived in situations of oppression and violence. They learned to sing free at last because the definite liberation had already been assured them. After Abraham Lincoln declared the emancipation of the slaves in the U.S., or William Wilberforce pushed through laws of abolition of slavery and the slave trade in England, and in all of the colonies, slaves were still oppressed. Their freedom had been secured, but the final act was still to come. So when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are proclaiming with confidence that God is going about his purpose here on earth with these clumps of clay, with these broken places. And so the third petition reminds us, thy will be done. Your will will be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. As we grow in our Christian faith, the more we find ourselves caught between these two odd realities. We want to do the Father's will, and we don't always know what the Father wants us to do. And even if we do know it, we sometimes find it really hard to do what God is asking us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we receive this very clear picture of a process of maturity. Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? Gosh, if mighty St. Paul, the pillar of truth and doctrine, could write that our minds must be continuously renewed so that we can know God's will, how much more would you and I need to be on the lookout to discern in prayer God's purposes, His will and His desires for us here on earth? Here's a cool truth. The very first recorded words out of Jesus' mouth at the age of 12, when his mother was worried because she couldn't find him anywhere in Jerusalem, his first words recorded were, I must be about my father's business. Or in some translations, I must be doing the will of my father. And near the final words, before his crucifixion, in his prayer in Luke 18, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. God's will is God's good pleasure. It is God's good design. It's his delight. Scriptures make it abundantly clear, like in Ephesians chapter 1, that God is going about accomplishing his purposes on earth as in heaven. Jesus didn't teach his disciples to pray, God, let us do your will on earth as in heaven. No, and not that that's a bad thing to pray, by the way. It's actually a really good thing to pray. But in this prayer, in living according to the Lord's prayer, there's this huge lesson for us in telling God, and notice it's in the imperative, do your will. Only you can do it faithfully and fully, 100% of the time. You are already doing it in heaven, Lord. Now do it on earth. So we pray, God, do your will today in this world. Do your will today with COVID-19. Do your will today in Nigeria, Lord. Do your will today in Lebanon and with the Canadian government. Do your will in the United Kingdom. Do your will in Regina and Toronto and Charlottetown and in Montreal. Do your will today, Lord, in our house. Do it in our church. And the reason we say your will is because we simply do not always know what God's will is. Today I want to leave you with this thought. While I might not always know what God's will is for me or our family or this church or my work, 
I know that his will is to set me free, to set me free from everything that keeps me from being blessed so that I can be a blessing. So with our heads up and our hands open, we pray our Father in heaven, your will, your purpose, your good pleasure, do it on earth as it is in heaven. These three petitions are so relevant. We are asking God, as Daryl Johnson said, to do what only he can do. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is already in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is already in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. The life of the believer begins and ends with these three prayers. Worship, submission, and service or the alignment of our service. So let's talk about a couple of action points for this week. The first one is a little exercise. Each day of this week, pick one of the lines of the Lord's Prayer. So today's Sunday for me, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Just pray hallowed be your name. Tomorrow, Monday, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. On Tuesday, Lord, your will be done. And go throughout the Lord's Prayer each day this week. Secondly, using a newspaper or an online news feed like BBC or Reuters, say the Lord's Prayer and allow it to guide you in your prayer for different places in the world. Ask God to holify his name, to bring about his kingdom, and to do his will. I have a very special place for Lebanon in my prayer life. What about you? Please join me right now as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the access that we are given to the control room and that we can make these petitions known to you. We ask that you would make your name holy. We ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, Lord, with a heavy heart, we pray for our world. We pray for the situations in our life and in this world that are beyond human hope. But we know that you alone can bring about your will and your kingdom and make your name holy. Father, we thank you for the access that we have. We pray that we would grow in our understanding of the mission to which we are called on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me leave you with three questions for discussion. In the Lord's Prayer, according to Daryl Johnson, we are asking God to do what only God can do. How do you understand this thought? Do you find it empowering or disempowering? And of, secondly, of these three heavenward petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, which of those three do you find the most radical? Which one do you think can upset the routines of your life the most? What obstacles can you identify in your life and in our culture that interrupt God from doing his work? These three petitions help reorient our sense of mission in the world. How can we, in practical ways, engage in God's mission through these three petitions? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He said, listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. We read in the book of Romans that God proves his love towards us and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, come to this table not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own, which gives you the right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and want to love him more. Come because he loves you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires known and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Apostle Paul shares with us the institution of the first Lord's Supper. He wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also handed down to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the demonstration of your infinite love, a Savior who was born, a Redeemer who paid the price of our sin, a risen Lord who rules over all of creation and rules over our lives today. We celebrate you in this, your supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to join with me in saying right now the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant sealed with my blood. Whenever you drink this, do it in memory of me. Drink this cup and remember that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Your death, O Lord, we commemorate. Your resurrection we confess. Your final coming we await. Glory be to you, O Christ. May we who share Christ's body live a resurrection life, and may his cup bring life to others. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and forever. Amen. And for the benediction, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.